Hey, so this is Amy, and uh, I am using this amazing feature on my phone to be able to actually record this podcast while I am driving. I know, that seems totally crazy. Technology is totally 100% amazing to me, and also totally 100% frightening to me, all at the same time. It's kind of crazy. So the reason I felt prompted to do this is I am currently driving back from my mom's house. And as you probably know, if if you're a regular listener of this podcast, my mom is dying. Um, She has cancer. Her cancer has come back. And uh, it's a little scary, to be honest. Um, It's really scary, actually, how quickly um, I'm watching her deteriorate and uh, recognizing that this is a very... I guess just recognizing that I'm not... I don't have as long as... I thought maybe I did with my mom. Um, she's had a couple really bad days, and she's forgetting words. Uh, she's struggling to walk straight. Uh, she's falling down quite a bit. Uh, she's really unstable, and she's just in a lot of pain, a lot of pain. Um, we, they identified three tumors in three of her ribs, and she is convinced she has at least four more because of the pain that she feels um, around those three areas that they identified and then the four more uh, she's feeling that same type of pain in just four different spots so it's a little scary to me actually it's a lot scary to me I have nights when I cry myself to sleep and I feel so lonely and so scared and then I have other moments where I'm just really grateful that I have time with her and time to spend with her And then I have other moments where I just feel cheated (laughs) that I'm only 40 years old and that my dad died and my mom's going to die and I'm not going to have parents um, growing up anymore. And it's okay. I'm sure that there's a million different circumstances in the world. Some kids grow up without ever having parents. So I just try to be really grateful about having parents. But the reason I felt really prompted to kind of just record a little bit right now is that this is my trouble time right here right now driving home from my mom's house really driving home from any time in my life driving home from let me qualify that driving home from any family event in my life has always been one of my big big trouble moments Um, I want someone to talk with about my family and how crazy they are. Mostly I want someone to validate my opinion about how crazy my family is. And I drive home feeling just totally, totally crazy. And then I start, and then if I'm not careful, I start down this spiral of, well, they're all fine. And yet I'm the one that feels crazy. So I must literally be crazy. And then it just goes from there. I'm crazy. Of course I'm crazy because I'm broken. And I'm broken because I'm not good enough and because I don't do things well enough. And I don't have enough skills or enough social skills or I'm not adjusted well enough. My family's all normal and I'm the one that's crazy. And I go down this route. And then by the time I get down to the bottom, all I want to do is act out. And I just want someone to validate me, to see me, to understand my problems and to be willing to share those with me. And that usually comes at the price of some kind of sexuality in order to 
interesting. I just made that connection in my head. In order to get someone to spend time with me, I feel like I have to put out, basically, right? That somehow um, trading sexual favors for emotional intimacy. And we've talked about this before, that sex addiction is an intimacy disorder, and, and so we want to trade sexual favors sexual acts for other types of intimacy whether that's emotional or experiential or even intellectual intimacy all those types of things and this right here this time period is my danger zone first of all usually what happens is I get in the car I turn the car on and if I don't immediately reach out and make a phone call I start going into fantasy like almost immediately guys it's It's totally crazy for me that five years in, I still have this very strong habit and pull to go into fantasy. And I go into fantasy. I don't want to be present. I don't want to have to deal with the fact that I'm not crazy and that my family is crazy. (laughs) Because after five years of therapy and after reading countless books and after understanding enmeshment and understanding dysfunction, understanding intimacy, understanding addiction, I've come to the conclusion that I'm not crazy. I'm actually really not crazy, but that my family is really dysfunctional. That doesn't mean I don't love them because I desperately, loyally love my family. It doesn't mean that I don't spend time with them because I do, but it also means I have to be really careful in this period of time on this drive home. Because if I, like I said, if I don't immediately reach out and tell someone that my family is crazy, then I start reaching out for fantasy. Because again, I want someone to validate me. And so I reach out for fantasy and I reach out to some kind of imaginary partner is usually what it is. And I'll even go as far as like having a conversation out loud with my partner, my fake partner, remind me, like my fake partner, remind you that that's what it is, sitting in the car with me. And I'll express all of those things that are going on in my head about how crazy my family is. And so I reach out, and so I make a phone call, and so I pray, and so I tell people that it hurts. It hurts that my family doesn't accept me. It hurts that my family is dysfunctional. It hurts that my family can't communicate in a way that's real or meaningful. It hurts that I don't feel emotionally connected to my family in so many ways. It hurts that I have to keep a distance from my family because if I don't keep some kind of emotional distance there, then I get back sucked back in and I get enmeshed. It hurts. And and I hate it. (laughs) Really, that's what it is. I hate it. Because we as people, Brene Brown tells us, we are hardwired for connection. Hardwired for connection. It's in our DNA. We want to make emotional connections. We want to make intellectual connections, sexual connections. We want to make all of those connections. And when the people that we love, that we're surrounded by, when we recognize that they can't meet those needs, that they can't really be the connection that we want, it's painful. It's so painful. And sometimes I feel like in recovery... I take five steps forward and then 20 steps back. 
or sometimes I feel like what is actually healthy for me ends up hurting people around me. Or sometimes it feels like it even hurts myself. It's healthy for me, but at the same time, it causes pain for people. That's hard to understand in recovery. It's hard to understand that sometimes we have to do incredibly painful things in order to actually get healthy. And sometimes that means moving. And sometimes that means keeping an emotional distance from the people that we love. Because if we don't, we get sucked into the crazy. And that's how I am with my family right now. If I don't keep an emotional distance, I get sucked into the crazy. And the crazy will take over my life. And not only take over my own life, it will also cause me to relapse. It will cause me to act out. Because that's why I act out. Because of the crazy going on in my family. It's hard. It's hard. And so... As I was kind of thinking through that process and as I got in the car and started making a phone call and started thinking about, wow, I need to talk about this, I thought, you know what, you guys maybe need to hear this. Maybe you need to know that just because I put a podcast out there, just because I work a program, just because I have a sponsor, just because I sponsor people, just because I go to program meetings every week, because I go to therapy, just because all of those things doesn't mean that I don't have really, really hard moments. Because I do. I have really, really hard moments. I have moments that bring me to my knees on a pretty regular basis. And I've learned that those moments, in those moments, if I allow them to, they also heal me just a little bit. Because... Oh, I gotta stop crying. <laughs> I can't cry and drive and talk all at the same time. Like, usually I can do two of those things, but not three of those things. Three of those things may be dangerous for people around me. Anyway, this is what I've learned. That those moments heal me just a little bit. And they heal me because I have to go back to the basics of what I know. I have to go back to the very fundamental principles that I have learned in recovery. And when I do that, oh, and those very, well, hang on before I tell you what happens. Those basic moments of recovery, those little fundamental truths that I've learned are thing, are these. One, I am 100% powerless over lust and over my sexual addiction. 100% powerless. Just because I get pulled into fantasy because that's my default, I'm powerless over that. And if I don't surrender it, it will take me under with it. Just like the ocean. I am powerless over the ocean. I am powerless over those waves. And if I do not become aware of them, they will take me under. If I don't surrender them, they will take me under. The other fundamental truth I've learned is that I work a program because moments like this are inevitable. I can't prevent these moments from happening. I can't stop them. They're going to happen no matter what goes on in my life. And so I have to work a consistent program because I can't predict them and I can't prevent them. And because of that, my program has to be solid every single day so that I don't get taken under by these moments. 
And the other fundamental truth that I've learned in recovery is that life is messy and that recovery is messy and that it's hard and that it's some of the hardest things that I will ever do in my entire life. But I've also learned that it's 100% worth it because even as I cry, as I drive home from my mom's house with how terrible, not terrible, it wasn't terrible at all, but with how crazy my family is and just the recognition of that, I also had a very sweet moment with my mom where I felt incredibly connected to her, where she shared some information with me that was really difficult from her past in an effort, I think, to just try to help people understand her life. And, uh, and that information, uh, and just having that information and understanding my mom a little bit more just heals me because I'm able to have more compassion and I'm able to have more empathy and I'm able to understand that people really are doing the very best that they can the absolute very best that they can and just because it might not and just because it might not measure up in my book (laughs) because I have these like outlandish standards of how everyone should act and be and perfectionism and all those things doesn't mean that they don't care doesn't mean that they don't want to care and it doesn't mean that they don't love me and that's another thing that I've learned one of those fundamental truths of recovery is that love comes in all shapes and sizes and forms and I have to be open to it no matter what it looks like I think when I think about my parents my parents were two people who desperately loved each other there was no doubt in my mind or anyone's mind that my parents 100% loved each other but they were just incapable of communicating that to each other in an effective manner. And I think that my mom always expected love to look this certain way. And my dad expected love to look this certain way. And they had expectations in their mind that said, if you really loved me, you would be able to read my mind and know what I need and meet all my needs. And, and these kind of unrealistic expectations and these unvoiced expectations and Over the years, the resentment just built up and they were two really unhappy people living together, trying to make it continue to make it work. But they were really, I think, unhappy. And that's because they didn't ever learn those skills, those emotional skills on how to communicate, how to accept love, even when it doesn't come in the way that you think it will. And and being able to look at that now and reflect back on that now I recognize that I have that problem too of course I do because that's what I learned right (laughs) I expect love to look a certain way I expect relationships to look a certain way and recovery has taught me that that's just not always the case and that my expectations in a lot of ways are flawed because that's what I learned and so learning to accept love in whatever form that it's given has been one of the really life-changing moments of recovery for me that people love me (laughs) it might not look exactly the way that I think it should or that I want it to 
but that they love me just the same. And understanding that has allowed me to have a lot more compassion for myself, a lot more compassion for other people, a lot more understanding for other people, and to give a lot of grace to other people, particularly to those closest to me, to understand that we all grew up in a family where expectations were not voiced, where there were sometimes hidden requirements that we didn't know about and and then were held responsible for and then were punished for them when we didn't even know about them to begin with. And I find the more that I investigate that idea, the more that I talk to my own family about that and others, I find I have those expectations, those hidden agenda moments where I'm not even aware that all of that's going on and I'm just really grateful. I'm just really grateful for recovery. I'm really grateful for these moments, these drives home, these, these drives home, these, yeah, whatever, (laughs) however you would say that, because I'm doing them a lot lately as I'm visiting my mom a little bit more often with her being so sick and, and I've had a lot of time to reflect and I have a lot of time to to think about my own life, my own recovery, my own goals, my own objectives, what it is that I want, what it is that I want the next part of my life to look like. And I'm just grateful. I'm so grateful. I'm scared out of my mind. I am not sure what the next step is for me in my life. And I'm not sure how it's all going to come together. And there's moments where I'm frustrated and there's moments where I'm sad and angry and then I have moments where I'm just so excited that I just can barely stand it um, about the future and about the amazing women that I meet in recovery and about so many different things. So as I drive home today, thank you for joining me on my drive home today. But as I drive home today, I'm just reminded of those fundamental truths of recovery. I work a program because moments like this are inevitable. I work a program because I am 100% powerless. 100% powerless over so many things. Not just my sex addiction, not just my lust, but I'm powerless over my family. I'm powerless over cancer, which sucks so bad. I'm powerless over my own reaction sometimes. There's so many things that I'm powerless over. Those urges I'm powerless over. But I also know 100% that I have a higher power that cares about me and that is in the details of my life. In the very, very details of my life. I don't think... I told you I can't do three things at the same time. I can't cry and drive and talk at the same time. I'm struggling to make that happen here. It was not a coincidence for me in my life um, that I started recovery when my dad was dying. And I think about that time and it was just really... Um, the word that comes to mind is sacred. It was just incredibly sacred territory that I was able to, the same time that I'm exploring steps two and three, 
that my dad was dying and I had to really come to grips with what I felt about a higher power because I felt really abandoned a lot of times in those moments and and understanding and building I feel like I'm rambling here but just it's not a cool like life I, I uh, what am I trying to say life is not there's not coincidences I was watching NCIS last night rule number 39 Gibbs rule number 39 NCIS there's no such thing as a coincidence and I really believe that that's true my one of the reasons that I started recovery one of the things that really prompted me to get into recovery was the fact that my dad was dying and I had so much emotion to work through around my dad dying and I had so much anger towards my dad and I knew I just knew I just like in my core knew that if he died while I was so angry I would not recover I just knew that it would take me under and it was one of the big reasons that prompted me to get into recovery and now here I am five years later and my mom's dying <laughs> and I'm in recovery and so I get to be present for my mom while she's dying and that is a gift in my life that is a serious gift in my life and an amazing an amazing thing that I am just incredibly grateful for I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity to be present with her through this time because I wasn't for my dad. I was working through my own things. And in a lot of ways, I get to grieve both my parents at the same time, which is a little crazy, but I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I'm just grateful to be in recovery. So now as I pull off the freeway here, get my crying under control. <laughs> Uh, thanks for joining me on my drive home. I hope that somehow you find some value in this crazy, crazy podcast with just some information about my struggle moments because I promised myself that this would be real, that I wouldn't put on a happy face all the time, that I wouldn't just talk about how great things are and not talk about how awful some things are and sometimes. And so I thought maybe, maybe sharing this moment would be able to help you understand that things do get better. They might be really tough at times and they might feel like they're going to take you under sometimes. But if you work your program and you stay with the fundamental truths that you know about recovery, things do get better. So that's it. That's what I have to say today. Thanks.